Walking distance is supported by Gosmer Gear. On my recent shakedown hike on the Superior Hiking Trail, I had big wind on a ridge. But my Gossamer Gear trekking pole single tent called the One barely moved. At only 17 ounces, the One packs down to the size of a hamster. But it's bomb-proof with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. That's why Gossamer Gear is my choice for the Continental Divide Trail. Oh, and I'll carry it in the Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE, and you'll get 15% off some of the highest quality lightweight gear out there. Walking Distance is your code on your next order at gossamergear.com. A couple of things happen, right, when you take another being with you hiking. Your selfishness level really has to drop. During those cold snaps, if it, if it was just me, I probably just would have tried to stick it out. And I would have probably just like figured out a way to make my sleeping bag a bit warmer. But knowing that I had a dog with me and it's like negative 30 outside and the windshield was negative 45, like you have to care a little bit more about something other than yourself when you bring a dog with you. From the trek, this is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers, and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there, and that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Blissful Hiker. Emily Ford is a 28-year-old backpacker from Duluth with an infectious laugh and a spunky spirit. On Saturday, March 6th, she was greeted by an eager group of supporters at Interstate State Park on the bank of the St. Croix River in western Wisconsin, having completed walking the 1,200 miles of the Ice Age Trail in the dead of winter. Emily is the first woman to do so, as well as the first person of color. She was the only human in her group, walking with a dog she bonded with deeply, an Alaskan husky named Diggins. The Ice Age Trail was the dream of a Milwaukeean named Ray Zilmer, who had a vision back in the 50s of a long, linear park winding through Wisconsin along the glacier's terminal moraine. About 600 miles are completed, with the rest a series of connected roads as it winds through state parks, forest land, and right through towns, too. According to the Ice Age Trail website, more than 2.3 million people use it each year, including in winter for skiing and snowshoeing. Heck, I've even hiked sections of the trail in the forested area of the Shemagawin near Lake Superior. But I mean, like, three miles at a time. A through-hike at any time of the year can be daunting. But Emily Ford is not the kind of person who seems daunted by anything. She's the head gardener at the historic Glensheen Mansion, and she's laid off for three months every year, so she found herself with this chunk of time. And she likes the stillness of winter in the northern Great Lakes and its special beauty, as well as the fact that there are no bugs in winter. I've lived in St. Paul for about a dozen years, and we're about the same latitude as the Ice Age Trail. And this winter was really a relatively mild winter, except for about two weeks of temperatures below zero. It's so funny to hear people talk about the weather because <laughs> people are like, oh, it's such a mild winter. And I'm like, interesting that you think that because at the coldest times, you were probably real snugly in your own bed. <laughs> <laughs> so the perspective sh kind of shifted a little bit, but it, it was a great winter. Um, 
I don't really have any complaints. And it's, you know, it's good for us in Minnesota to, or well, in the Midwest to have those really cold snaps. You know, it, it keeps a balance, which is nature. It fends off a lot of issues that are creeping up with global climate change. So. So what did you pack? Now, I read that you carried 60 pounds. Yeah, between 60, 65 pounds. Yeah, I named my backpack Glenn Beulah. <laughs> I don't know who, who that is. What's the name? Glenn Beulah. It's, I think I'm pretty sure it's the name of a city in Wisconsin. But the name Glenn Beulah just sounded like a really big girl's name, you know, like a big farm girl's name. You know, like she's, she can carry a bale of hay in each hand and she can carry it for a half a mile and then she can toss it over her shoulder and just feed the cows. You know, that's that's what I think of when I think of the name Glenn Beulah. <laughs> so it's very heavy. And, you know, it was funny because I kind of got chastised a little bit for carrying so much weight. But I mean, I had my tent, um, my sleeping system, which consisted of one sleeping bag, one foam thermarest, one air filled thermarest, my night clothes and, and a few extra clothes just in case my food, which probably weighed the most, my fuel for my camping stove, like a book and the journal, like a few bits, odds and ends there, you know. But I feel like I did a pretty good job of paring it down to the necessities. It's just one of those things, right? So when you have a limited amount of money, you can only afford gear that's so light. I just didn't have the budget. <laughs> right. But it's also winter. I mean, so there's sort of a limit to how light it could be anyway, because you do have to have a sleeping bag that goes to what? Below? I mean, what was the rating for your sleeping bag? Mine's negative 30. Oh, <laughs> you must have been toasty. Oh, I was, com- I was comfortable. Yeah. Some nights, well, because this is like, like what I'm, like I'm saying, a lot of my nights were below zero. So like when it finally got above zero, I was very toasty. Below zero, I was com- really comfortable, yeah. What stayed through the whole trip and what did you chuck? My first week, I got rid of the pulk I was pulling, a sled. It just became too hilly for me to have it. So with that went my snowshoes, which I know seems strange, but there wasn't much snow until like mile 550, maybe. I had done many, many miles without a bunch of snow. So I was thankful I didn't do that. Uh, One of my heavier coats went with the snowshoes. Um, Other odds and ends went, um, but mainly a heavy coat, my sled, my snowshoes. I mean, this may sound like a really dumb question, but my first, I mean, I guess you said the snow wasn't that deep. But my first image is like lots of post holing. I mean, how did you stay upright? I know that sounds kind of ridiculous. So yeah, towards the end was a lot of post holing, uh, mostly because the wind drifts, the snow drifts, sorry. And then the crusty snow just kept going. You know, like I just I knew I couldn't stop. That was one of the things that just like, what was I going to do? Right. At those points where nobody had hiked, that just meant I was in the middle of nowhere mostly. And so what are you going to do? Like curl up in a ball and cry? Like, I'm not saying I didn't cry. I cried for other reasons, I guess. But there's no other choice is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's not the Hunger Games. You know, like in the Hunger Games, like where that claw comes down from the sky mm-hmm. and like picks them up and drags them out of there. Like there's, that's just not reality. You have to do the thing on your own. <laughs> that, was, that was just it. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you cried. Um, do you want to share any of the reasons you did? Yeah, sure. Um, it, had, it really had nothing to do with the actual physical hiking. I, I was reading a book called The Wolf's Trail. It's an Ojibwe story told by wolves. And um, really, the crying only revolved around Diggins, the dog that I, I had with me. Um, in the beginning of the book, they talk about the Ojibwe's version of the creation story. And their story is a man and a wolf go around together. And they go around for an unknown amount of time naming all of the creatures. And the man uses his language and the wolf uses his keen sense of smell and sight to find all the creatures, right? 
And after they're done traveling together, the creator comes to the wolf and the man and says, now it's time for you two to part from each other and take care of the earth in your own way and take care of your species in the, in, in the way that they need taken care of. And at that point, the man and the wolf put their heads together, like on their foreheads, and they close their eyes. And at the same time, they say, I will miss you. And at that point, they, they depart their ways and continue on with their lives. And at that point, you know, Diggins and I were over halfway through when I started reading this book. And that had been our journey up to that point. And I knew that it was going to be hard to leave her. And so anytime I thought about it, I would just start Oh, man, the tears were just like start coming. I was like, oh, I don't want to leave you, man. It's going to be so hard. <laughs> um, just because that relationship was so keenly developed through you know, our 10 weeks of traveling together. Introduce us to Diggins. I mean, she's adorable and she's kind of taken this center place in a lot of the pictures that you have up on Instagram. I mean, she's she's beautiful, but she's she's tough, too, kind of leading the way. Uh, where did she come from? And talk about your relationship with her. Yeah, she's super tough. So she is an Alaskan Husky. She turned three years old when we were out on the trail. Um, so she's pretty young. I got her from um, a sled kennel called Beatty Family Farm in Minnesota. That just happened because somebody told me to post on a mushers page saying I wanted to borrow someone's dog for this trip. And uh, they were the only ones to respond. And rightfully so. I mean, that's a big deal to let somebody borrow your dog in the middle of the winter and you don't know them. So yeah, we... When we met, it was kind of love at first sight, actually. It's kind of weird. Um, I got to play with her out down at the kennel, and she like showed me her belly right away. I got to rub her belly like right off the bat, and that's like a huge, that's a huge submissive move. After that, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to be great friends. We did a couple shakedown trips together, she and I, which means that we just took kind of overnighters to see how our gear would go, would we get along and everything like that. And through the trip, we developed a strange bond, right? So we were, we were the only two together consistently. So we developed a very small pack. And actually what ended up happening is that she would nip at people if they would try to get too close or like try to, like if someone tried to give me a hug, she would nip at their knees and uh, she just became really protective. And I talked to her handler about that. And she's like, she did the same thing with her puppies. She was really protective of her puppies. She's a very protective personality. Did you want her there primarily to help you? I mean, was she, she was cutting trail, you know, to kind of pull you along, or was it more for companionship and safety? Well, originally it was just to have a dog there. I like hiking with dogs, and I have one here at home. Um, he's not really made for the winter time. That's why I borrowed one. Um, but then she was tied to me via scajoring belt. So she did break trail. She did uh, pull me along not uphill, ironically enough. <laughs> she did not like that, but she definitely kept my pace up. And you know, like when I was really down after post tolling for so long, we would look each other dead in the eye and I'd be like, Diggins, you cannot let me stop moving. You have to keep me going or else we're going to be hiking all night long and we're not going to make it anywhere. And it was like, yeah, it's like she heard me and she'd just be like, all right, let's go. Like we got to do this. And she would bust through trail that was above her back for hours upon hours. And she wouldn't complain. She wouldn't stop. She would just keep going. And as soon as I would take a break, she would curl up in the snow and take a nap. And then when I was ready to go again, she was up and at him and ready to go. So I think I have this right. You got into backpacking really more as an adult through hiking the Superior Hiking Trail and the Border Route, the Kakakabic in northern Minnesota. How did you learn about the Ice Age Trail and why did you choose it? Yeah, right? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows about this trail, I swear. Um, 
I was sitting out playing bar league volleyball and another a hiker buddy of mine, I was just like, man, I'm really itching to like do a thousand mile trail or something like that. And she's like, what is like a glacier trail or something like that? And she looked it up. She's like, oh, it's called the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin. It's not a really sensational story. That's like pretty much it. <laughs> I was I was just like, cool, sounds good. Like I'll do it in a couple of years when I have the time. So it's not all trail at the moment. About half, more than half of it is footpath, but some are unconnected routes is what it says online. I mean, how did you plan where to end up, where to camp, and kind of how you were going to go about walking it? I had a whole itinerary. I kind of based it off of what I thought I could hike per day. And I looked on the maps and kind of guessed spots that I could stay, which proved to be not so fruitful, I guess. a lot of the campground, all of the campgrounds were closed. They wouldn't even let me camp out overnight because I you know, for various reasons, I guess. So I ended up kind of stealth camping in different spots quite a bit. So did you stick to your itinerary? I tried so hard, but no, <laughs> I had my itinerary was for 65 days. I got done in 69 days. I, I made such a silly mistake planning my trip. I gave myself one zero day, oh. <laughs> a zero days when you hike no miles at all. And <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So there's that. I got an injury the first week right off the bat. Um, if I didn't see a good spot to camp when I was planning, I would, I would go to Google Maps. <laughs> I would look to see if there's a local business nearby and I would call them and I'd say, hey, I'm through hiking. I said, chill. I will be at your place in such and such date. Do you mind if I camp on your property? Yeah. And most people said yes. You had great trail angels along the way. Trail magic. Yeah, it was awesome. People were ridiculously kind like mind-bogglingly kind. It like still doesn't even make sense to me. Like they let me stay in their house. There was, there's one house in particular. There's two houses in particular, but one in particular, particular. I texted her on a whim. She, she messaged me like through Facebook Messenger or something. And I was like, can you come pick me up from this spot and shuttle me? She's like, yes. Well, she ended up doing that for three days. And like the total mileage, you know, I was hiking between 15 and 20 miles every single day. And there was actually a gap day where I didn't stay at, at their place uh, one night. So you know, 15, 15, 30, 60, you know, so by the last day, she was pretty much driving like an hour to pick me up, drop me off and drop me off again the next day. Like that boggles my mind. Like I understand like, like it's COVID. So she was working from home. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but like, that's your fuel. That's your time. You know, she had a partner at home. Like that's a big deal to do that for a stranger, you know? For sure. But I mean, it's also, I mean, people want to be involved and I guess it kind of gives back to the giver to feel like they're helping you. But I imagine that you're thinking, how do I, how can I possibly be gracious enough? Or Because you kind of leave them at a certain point. You're continuing on. And probably to never see them again ever in your life. Hmm. It's a funny form of loneliness. A lot of people ask me if I got lonely. And it's funny because I saw people mostly every single day. But it's an interesting type of loneliness. And I've experienced this before with um, different jobs I've had, where even though you see people, when you don't see the same people every day and there's that, none of that consistency... It's just you are very alone because if you think about in your day-to-day life, I don't know if you leave your house or not to go to work, um, but you at least you at least have a post person, perhaps, or if you're in an apartment, you have neighbors that are consistent or you have neighbors that live next to your house. A husband, <laughs> a married. But yeah, like, yeah, like a partner or children or you know, whatever. There's a consistency. And when you're transient, uh, it's very different, especially when you're solo hiking. Emily Ford is the first woman and person of color to through-hike the 1,200 miles of the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin. 
She carried 60 pounds of gear, food, and fuel, as well as a tough attitude to make it one step at a time and complete the hike in 69 days. True, no one walked it for her, but she does recognize that she had help along the way in the form of trail angels and the dog on loan, Diggins. This is definitely the biggest trip that Emily Ford has taken, but walking along a path that has not been broken and is not always clear fits with a person she's always been, someone up for a challenge and just plunging right in. I would say that Emily was born to be a backpacker. If I could talk to my younger self, like my little self, I'd be like, yeah, man, you're cool. You hate taking showers, don't worry. As an adult, you can choose when you take a shower. And when you're backpacking, you never have to take a shower. So don't worry. (laughs) You know, like you love being alone and people think it's weird that you like being alone. It's totally fine, dude. Like it'll come in handy when you're older. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you're listening to Walking Distance from the Trek. Walking Distance is supported by John Reamer & Associates. On a backpack trip, you wouldn't think of heading out without a map, a compass, and a guidebook. Planning for a healthy financial future is much the same. It's a step-by-step process. And at John Reamer & Associates, you'll get personalized financial advice to help you reach your goals today and tomorrow. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Be inspired at johnreamer.com. A private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, located in Minnesota with over 30 years of experience. This is Walking Distance from the Trek. I'm Blissful Hiker. Emily Ford is the first woman and person of color to have completed a thru-hike of Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail in winter. She learned about pushing herself through the tough miles in deep snow and cold temperatures, about being less selfish and looking out for others, especially the dog Diggins, who accompanied and supported her, and also about the incredible generosity of strangers, trail angels who helped her in big ways, like letting her sleep inside on the coldest nights, and all of whom seemed to come in and out of the story, people she says she may never see again. Like a lot of us walkers and backpackers, it's not just the physical challenge or even the allure of the beautiful landscape that attracts her to backpacking. I have to say I feel a kind of kinship with Emily in wanting to walk alone and finding that those long days outdoors are the only places where we can really dig into our psyches and work out the deeper issues in life. One of the reasons why I love solo backpacking is because well, A, I'm an overthinker and I can think for hours, man. Like it takes me miles and miles to run through all of my thoughts, (laughs) like miles, like tens of twenties of miles to run through all my thoughts. But I love solo backpacking because I like to choose to wrestle with things I need to wrestle with. It's really easy to, uh, in the day to day to just like let yourself be distracted by things and not face the things that you need to face, I guess. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you're backpacking, You still have to choose it while you're backpacking, but it kind of hits you in the face a little bit more. And I love that. I love wrestling with my thoughts. I love wrestling with past things I've been, you know, struggling with and what have you, because it brings me back to like center of who I am. It helps me respect myself more. It helps me respect other people more to lend myself grace, to lend myself forgiveness and, and work through those crunchy bits. You know, when you're done with all this alone time for me it makes me want to listen to other folks and like listen to their life and listen to how they got to where they are it it helps me not cast judgment 
so quickly on others. I still judge people. <laughs> like, honestly, like this doesn't make you perfect, right? But it definitely, it definitely helps you get through some of the clutter. Because you, because these are now truths I had to come to without the influence of like social media or media or other folks. It all had to kind of generate from within inside myself. I love that in one of your posts, you quote some children that you met along the way. And one asked you, do you ever get bored? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> How do you manage? Uh, singing. I sing so much out belting whatever song I can think of. And it's so funny. You think you know lyrics to songs. Dude, there was a lot of like trying to like, I'm like, how do I not know the lyrics to this song? Like I sing it all the time. So a lot of that and, and other times, right, when I was maybe more in a contemplative state, I would over explain humanity to Diggins, why people treat people the way they do. And I would just like try to over explain it to her sometimes. Because here's the thing, when you're with a dog also, this may be a little off track, but when you're the only human, right? <laughs> and there's just a bunch of animals around you, you realize like their patterns and the way they coexist with each other and how they can coexist with think, other animals that aren't like them. You know, it's not, it's not 10 out of 10 every time that, you know, a wolf is going to eat them, whatever, that's walking by. A wolf will eat when it's hungry. I, I explained war to Diggins. Humans don't kill to eat. We kill for pleasure. And it was a weird conversation that I had with a dog, <laughs> very philosophical. Like we would just like sit on these really weird, heavy thoughts. And by we, I mean I. And then she would just sit there and look at me, you know. <laughs> you know, that makes me think of um, one of your posts where you were um, reacting to the wolf slaughter that happened in Wisconsin, where 216 wolves were killed in three days. I mean, I, I, my voice is catching even asking about it. And you wrote about owning the wilderness is just another way of privileging ourselves. How do you see your relationship with the trail in particular and wilderness in general? The trail will never be mine, ever. I walked it, but I don't own it. And I view my position just so as humbly as I can, right? So what, as a, as a human, like what defense do you have? So say you're naked in the woods and, you're, and you're, your opponent is a wolf. What is your defense? Yeah. I mean, unless you have a gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have, but if you have nothing, you haven't any teeth that can bite. You haven't any sharp claws. No matter how strong you may be, the animal instinct's always going to win out, you know? One night, Diggins and I were walking through the Shawam again, and it was dark. It was dark, dark. Um, and her ears were just going nuts. And I could tell that something was watching us as we were walking. And it's probably some predator of some sort, whatever. And like I'm saying, it's not 10 out of 10 that a wolf is going to attack you. They just watch what you do. And she could hear things that I couldn't even hear. And it was so good for me to just internalize that and be like, I'm a visitor. I've evolved out of this world. I've evolved out of this natural world. I've lost my hair to keep me warm. I've lost my claws to protect me. I've lost my strength to you know, fight with. And it feels right for me just to like speak out into the wilderness, like, thank you for letting me visit. Thank you for letting me be a visitor. And thank you for letting me pass through because I know this is your territory and not mine. You know, right now, while we're speaking in this interview, it's the first day of the trial of the officer who killed George Floyd here in Minneapolis. And this has been an awful year, really, for everyone. I mean, on certain levels, obviously, you've done something really amazing with this time of COVID. 
But I think maybe especially for people of color, it's been very devastating. What do you hope your taking this hike will mean for other people of color? On it, the more I think about it, I just don't want people to be afraid, I think, if I can put it in a little nutshell. So many people of color are just afraid of like the quiet, the dark, for, for bad reasons, because that's just been passed down through generations. And I just want to show people that like, if you want to, you, you totally can be outside. Sleeping under the stars and feeling fresh air in your lungs should not be restricted to a white person at all. Like I've said multiple times, nobody owns the outdoors. And so much healing can happen in the outdoors. So much adventure can happen. So much fun can happen. So much rest can happen. It's just good for you to be outside. And there's a whole host of people that don't feel comfortable outdoors. And it's, and it's it like breaks my heart. So I was like, get outside, man. Like it's, it's, it's for everybody. It's for you. Are there any like specific lessons that came from this that you're that you you can see being applied to your life as a you know as a gardener and as a you know person with a home and a life and a partner and all that. Oh man, put your ego down, man. Like it doesn't get you anywhere at all. The first time I encountered it was so my knee started to flare up. What was happening? My quad, my quad was so tight that it was pulling on my patellar tendon, and it was pulling my knee cap off track. And people stopped to like talk to me, and they're like, "How are you doing?" It actually somebody made me breakfast in their home, they're like, oh, how are you doing? Like we talked forever. My knee was like killing me. And for some reason, internally, I'm like, I'm like, don't tell them, don't tell them about that. You're fine. You can push through it. You're totally fine. And like people would drive by and be like, oh, you need anything? And like internally, I'd be screaming, like, I need you to bring me somewhere so I can rest. But externally, I'd be like, oh no, I'm great. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Oh, totally fine. And finally it got so bad where I actually sat down on the road or not on the road, on the side of the road. I leaned up against my backpack. I put my leg up on uh, the pulk uh, that I had with me at the time. And Diggins curled up in between my legs. I put my hood up on my coat and I just crossed my arms and just waited for somebody to ask me if I needed anything. And even then, after somebody asked me, I like went way roundabout. They're like, they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, no. my knee kind of hurts, oh, whatever. And they're like, well, do you need anything? And I was like, oh, like a ride would be cool. <laughs> like, and I don't know why to just say, yes, I'm in pain. I need you to bring me somewhere. And it was just my ego getting in the way. Like, ask for help when you need it, when people are offering. <laughs> what would you tell the younger version of yourself or tell even the person who started this trail now that you finished it or tell someone else starting out? Like, how would you maybe change something in your training or change something in your attitude going in? Oh, I don't think I would change a thing. <laughs> because I, 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 went in, I went in with... Not and that's not me trying to be like cocky, like I did it right. Cause there's, I mean, dude, there's tons of things like I could have done like for the better for sure. Uh, because I went in with this mentality of like, I'm just gonna do it. And I've been that way. I mean, if I could get my mom on this podcast, she could tell you many, many of stories. I I don't even think of the repercussions, you know, of it being ultra cold or ultra blizzardy or whatever. I'm just like, yeah, that sounds sounds fun. Like, let's do it. Like it's always just like a sparkle in my eye of I just want to backpack. I like backpacking. I just want it to do it. I want to do it as a passion project every time, if I can. Well, Emily Ford, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Emily Ford is a real inspiration for all of us planning a backpack trip. I mean, maybe not in the dead of winter and maybe not quite that far. 
But when we feel that itch, that passion to try something and just go for it, she seems to tell us we should just follow through. I mean, that's not to say that she didn't plan. Just take a look at her Instagram, and you can see that every day was planned out, every meal, every town that she passed through. But planning only goes so far, and you have to be comfortable with the unknowns. Like one of the middle schoolers following her journey, telling her, push through this hike because no one else will do it for you. In one of her posts, she talks about learning that backpacking is like life. It's more a marathon than a sprint. And in any undertaking, any backpack trip or day hike, we get there one step at a time. And part of that journey, too, is internal. And if we embrace the loneliness, it takes our soul on a backpack trip, too. Emily has been a guest on both The Trek and on Backpacker Radio. We've got a lot about her in the show notes. And we'd love to hear from you, too. Drop a line at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co. You can tell us what you like, what you don't like, and maybe most important, who you think should come on the show. And if you love what you hear, please tell your friends. And thanks again to today's title sponsor, Gosmer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories, and my choice for the Continental Divide Trail. You can save 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance from the Trek. 